Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we're going to talk about presidential emergency declarations and what powers come along with that. So we're going to go through some things and some events that have happened in the past that have been declared presidential emergencies, what the presidents used, and what those powers allowed them to do and what they didn't allow them to do. And we'll kind of also talk about what's going on right now with the coronavirus and what Trump was talking about and some of the powers that he mentioned. And we'll talk about what they allow him to do and what other ones may fall into place. So as always, if you want to hear anything, you can reach out to us on social media at Tragos Law is our handle, or you can send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. All right, so today I'm here with Pete Sardis, and we are going to talk about um, presidential emergency declarations. So everybody knows by now with the coronavirus uh, that Trump has declared a national emergency. Um, That, you know, is kind of a buzzword. Trump said those are big words to use, and we're going to talk about what that actually means. But before we get into it, um, I do want to talk about that, the fact that this has happened like 35 times in the last... 30 years. So it's not, it's not something that's never happened before. It's not something that, you know, we should be really freaked out about now more than some other time that it's happened. This stuff happens from time to time. And we're going to talk about the fact that these presidential powers have actually come up a lot more than we realize because they're not always such big news items like they are right now because the entire world is going through it. But just to mention a few, In 2018 alone, Trump has declared an emergency relating to Russian interference in the elections. He's declared an emergency relating to the situation in Nicaragua. In 2017, he declared an emergency. 2015, Obama two times declared an emergency regarding Venezuela and one. And then another one in the same year relating to the Chinese cyber attacks. Obama, again, throughout the years, there's like seven or eight of these on here. They're listed everywhere. There's emergencies relating to Libya, relating to transnational crime, to Yemen, to Russian attacks in Ukraine, to the South Sudan. I mean, throughout the years, when you just go through what Bush, what Obama, what Clinton and what Trump have declared um, national emergencies with, I mean, it's been with drug trafficking, it's been things happening in Cuba, it's been terrorist attacks. Obviously, 9-11 was another event that they declared a national emergency. Every time we go to war, it's a national emergency. So this, this has happened over and over again in America, and the reason for it is it kind of starts the ball rolling to allow the government to do things that they can't do in normal times. We live in a democracy. The government can't stick their hands in our lives as much as they can when there's a national emergency. So that's kind of the first step. And Trump has mentioned multiple times in different interviews on TV, during press conferences, answering questions, he has mentioned the Stafford Act. So the Stafford Act, um, Pete, why don't you talk about it a little bit? What, what is the Stafford Act? What powers does it give the president? And why does he mention it in a time like this? All right. Stafford Act, generally speaking, is an amendment to something called the Disaster Relief Act of 1974. It's named after a senator by the name of Robert Stafford, who was in the Senate from 1971 to 1981. reason they passed the, uh, they named after him is because he helped pass it. Here's the 10-cent version. This particular law allows the president um, the powers to set forth relief and emergency assistance when the nation has a time of need. And it's been used in a lot of different uh, ways 
over the years. I think uh, my last check about 56 times since 2000. Which is a lot. So in it the is last a lot. 20 years, 56 times, it's almost three times a year. So, but let me but tell you what it's we really We never for. hear about it. I no, mean, we, we never hear about well, it. Well, we hear about it, but, but we don't, I guess we don't really think about being the Staffordite because it happens in times like hurricanes. Right. It happens when, you know, the levee broke in... Um, you know, in Louisiana. So, and again, I think that's something we should mention is the Stafford Act is actually something more appropriate in national disasters versus infectious disease or public health, where it's used in flooding and forest fires and hurricanes, things like that is usually when the Stafford Act is implemented. Right. And actually, I did some searches based on what you just said. And I, uh, the only other time that I could find that the Stafford Act has been used uh, in a in a medical emergency like this one is back in 2000. Bill Clinton, West Nile, right? Yeah, West yeah. Nile. That was it. That's the last time I can really remember it dealing with you know public health or infectious disease. But so, what does it actually allow the president to do? What powers does it give him? What it's really designed for is to provide orderly and systematic means of getting federal natural disaster assistance to to state and local governments so they can carry out the responsibilities that they have to their citizens. The key to that being is the states, meaning the federal government, uh, is taking over a uh, an area that is really normally carried on or protected by the state. And that's a kind of a common occurrence in some of these powers or acts or whatever one you want to call them that we go through is the federal government empowering the states to be able to do what's necessary for their specific state. And the reason it's set up like that, and again, why we talk so much about natural disasters versus public health is the coronavirus right now is something that's hitting the entire nation, some states worse than others. But when there's a flood or a hurricane, it's usually just one state that it's hitting or two states that it's hitting, which is why the government helps those specific states in those specific instances. And one of the things you asked is, why are we implementing it in this particular set of facts for the coronavirus? And I'm not sure if this is the best way to do it, but then again, I'm not a politician. But the reality is, this particular law is is designed so that if the state governors pretty much determine that they need help because their local resources cannot handle whatever that's going on, they petition the federal government and ask the the, um, the president to enact the the powers of the Stafford Act, so that you can send federal aid and a FEMA. lot of it and a lot of it has to do with finance. Oh, absolutely, so, so a lot the, of it's about the, money. Right, the federal government can finance some of these mitigating programs that the states can put on and they need help financially from the federal government. States don't usually like the federal government to put their hands in the pot that the states are supposed to to handle. But in these types of situations, when they need more funding, that's when the, the uh, federal government can really help. And And we should also mention it's not just natural disasters or times like this. It really is any emergency that this type of act can be enacted. It's even happened in, like I said, terrorist incidents or even mass shootings where the government has been called upon to use the Stafford Act power. Sure, like Oklahoma City. But, you know, you mentioned mass shootings. The last time they, you know, a governor asked for some assistance during a mass shooting was here in Florida at the, the Pulse nightclub shooting. And it was actually denied by President Obama because they felt as if the state resources were sufficient to be able to handle that. Yeah. The, so the, the federal government does an analysis of some kind to figure out whether or not it's appropriate for them to enact the Stafford Act to help the states. And obviously right now with the coronavirus, Trump's going to do that and the federal government is going to do that. They're going to provide aid to the states in a bunch of different ways. So th- there's a there's a bunch of different powers that can be used in these situations. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on with the Stafford Act? Any specifics? You know, other than really, you can it, it can do everything from you know evacuation proceedings all the way to traffic control. 
Um, but there's one thing that actually is interesting, and I, I've read some articles on it, is that one of the things it can't do is give the power of the president to lock down the nation or give it a curfew. He can't do it through the Stafford Act. That, that act does not provide that power to the president. There are other acts that may, but the Stafford Act yeah. is actually not one of them, where, where Trump was just um, interviewed and on stage and people asking him questions, and he said that they're not planning on doing that right now. They're not planning on implementing a curfew or a nationwide quarantine or anything like that at this point, um, but even if they did, it would not be able to be done under the Stafford Act. One act it could be done under is the National Emergency Act, which more broadly defines an emergency and allows the president to take control of certain aspects, such as the Internet. Um, It allows for them to take over certain private um, functions so that they can use it for government purposes, again, to help the nation, to get the message out to the nation, to... Uh, provide, you know, they, they could like take over Amazon trucks to help provide food to houses if they we had call to that or commandeering whatever. commandeering private. Right. Uh, so, so they, and that gives them powers to do that in emergencies um, in certain situations. And Obama used the National Emergencies Act and I believe took over the internet in 2009 with the H1N1 virus, which was another state of emergency that was declared by Obama where they and, and used some of these powers. You know, we talk about it sometimes. And I saw a couple of memes on the internet recently. We've had SARS. We've had Ebola. We've had H1N1. I mean, HIV. HIV. This happens all the time. This one, I think, is being handled differently because it really is so fast. And well, it's just a weird one because you also you don't know if you have it, right? So you're not necessarily exhibiting symptoms. Um, It's affecting certain members of the population a lot more than others. It's affecting certain states a lot more than others. And like you said, it comes so fast. So it goes from nothing to something like that. So people are at the beach at bars one day and the next day you're not supposed to do anything. And people don't believe that a large portion of society is not going to change their life like that. By the way, congratulations to West Virginia for not having a single case. Of, oh, yeah, uh, I didn't know that. of coronavirus. Yeah. They're the only one. So good, good job washing your hands, West Virginia. Um, okay. So next let's talk about another tool, I guess we'll call it, in the federal government or president's belt, which is using the National Guard in situations like this. Yeah. The National Guard uh, has very cool uh, statutory, I'm sorry, cool constitutional uh, foundations. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 uh, of, the, uh, of the U.S. Constitution basically says that the there are going to be militias. And that's what the National Guard is. Technically, it's a militia. But that militia can be called into federal service in, you know, in a variety of, uh, of ways. For example, the, the president can say, you know, call up the National Guard because he needs them to augment troops. Um, it is a partial mobilization, which is what we have right now. The National Guard in Florida, all the medical units have been mobilized, meaning that all those personnel that are also you know, one weekend a month, two week a year soldiers, they've gotten a notification saying you are now mobilized. You are active right now. If we need you, you know, we can set you going. And so, you know, we've seen movies or seen them, seen it happen in wartime where they have to come and like control the citizens and police the, the streets. That's not necessarily what they're used for in emergency situations. They are just used as, to provide assistance. They can be part of the disinfecting or cleaning team. They can provide transportation. They can provide meal delivery like they're doing in other countries right now. They can right do now. anything, really. Right. But I mean, I think people think of the National Guard as military and militia, like you're saying, coming with their guns, enforcing, enforcing a quarantine or a curfew, right? Which they could be used for that. But right now we're far away from that. And and they're really more likely to be used providing transportation, providing cleaning and disinfecting, providing actual food 
at delivering food because if you think about it if we're quarantined how are people going to get food and the way they're getting food is the national guard would deliver it to your house yeah actually the national guard when it comes to u.s based deployments nine times out of ten it's going to be for some humanitarian aid right exactly and i think i think people don't that's not their first thought when they hear the national guards being deployed in the states um anything else about the national guard uh, if it matters to anybody, it's a 24-month cap. You can't utilize these soldiers for more than 24 months. And as long as the governor consents, you know, the president has you know, full reign and full authority over the National Guard. Okay, so another um, act that can be a tool for the president in these kinds of times or the federal government is the Public Health Services Act. And this allows um, the government to waive certain federal regulations to help get health care quicker and easier to people that need it. Um, it was it was used to combat the opioid crisis. It was used in H1N1. It's been used in these kind of infectious disease or or these situations. It's it's specific to this, not necessarily for hurricanes, for flooding, for fires, things like that. So that's why it's kind of right down the line for Corona and probably will be used. Um, especially if we need more, like they're saying, ventilators, ICU beds, medical personnel, this is the kind of act that they can have certain powers under as well. Right. And if you, what's interesting is they actually have an entire area of the government, which is set forth under the U.S. Public Health Services Act, which is the U.S. Public Health Service Department. And if you look at, for example, the attorney general, uh, I'm sorry, not the attorney general, the surgeon general, if you look, if you've been watching Trump speak in the last few days, you see all these guys in uniform and they're all in these blue uniforms. Mm-hmm. You think they're in the Navy. They're not. If you look at their, uh, the tags on their uniforms, it says Public Health Service Administration. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, it provides a lot of specific, and these acts overlap a lot. And as you've heard, I've said H1N1 for half of them because all of these acts can be kind of implemented during any individual or multiple emergencies at one time. Um, and then you have situations where the House and the Senate can pass bills much quicker than it usually takes for bills to become law, like they talked about this most recent one where um, if you have 500 employees or more, you don't have to do paid sick leave for the amount of time that they take off, trying to let employees take off if they want to, or if they just have a cough, but not to cripple certain employers. So they don't have to pay, um, the, the full sick leave. If somebody's gone for that long, suspend kind of FMLA stuff or deal with those regulations that normally might be something you couldn't handle as a business now letting you handle it because they want people to stay home. They want people to quarantine if they just have a common cold that they normally would come in and work with. And Trump said today that they may be expanding that to small businesses. And so that stuff's kind of fluid. But again, it allows the House and the Senate to do things much quicker in times of an emergency than normally how long it takes with the filibusters and all the rules and the red tape that you have to go through the bureaucracy to make a law. I was going to say, think about it this way. When they're all coming together for the public good, they can accomplish whatever they want quickly. Right. If they don't agree, they can stonewall, you know, Democrats, Republicans can stonewall each other forever. Right. A lot of the bipartisan politics go out the window when we have to come together as a nation. We can get things done and, and everybody realizes what's important. Um, so things are very fluid. We just want to do a podcast real quick, speaking about the laws and the acts that might come into play. You might hear them um, during some of the interviews, during some of the conferences. Um, so just take a listen. You'll have a little bit more knowledge about it. And if anyone gets enacted, we may come talk about it some more. Things are happening fast. Trump says right now, no lockdown, but France's president just announced that they're doing a 15-day lockdown nationwide. Um, so Spain things can too. change fast. So Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll try to provide more information as we get it.